Belgioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking. Using only natural ingredients and fresh, local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses, guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioso, every cheese is a specialty. All right, guys, so there's been a lot of news this week. We're not even touching on all of it, but there's been a decent amount of news this week. So uh, what do you guys kind of think is happening this week that there's so much flurry of news for us to be talking about? Earnings. It's earnings, <laughs> man. I don't know. Back to school, end of summer, you know, everybody's it's getting ready for the busy season. Pre, I don't know if this is a real thing, but it's like a pre-Labor Day, like, news dump. Like, oh, yeah. we better wrap up everything we've been working on all summer while, you know, everyone's been on vacation. We better get some things done and then head into fall ready to go. Yeah, there's so much news for me to choose from this week. I was I was spoiled by choices this week, which was so nice. I'm not always spoiled for choice. Um, well, not so, to mention, we are Nation's Restaurant News. So, like, keep it coming, by the way. It keeps us in business. <laughs> Come we love on. news. Yeah, we love news. It's what we do. Uh, so let's start talking about Kava because I personally love this brand. Um, I love to eat their food. But um, – and isn't that the most important thing of any of these stories is that I love the brand? According to this podcast, yes. <laughs> so Kava uh, just reported its first earnings – since it's a publicly traded company now, um, they were really impressive. Alicia and I spoke on an episode of First Bite about how their sales are astronomical at this point. I mean, they're seeing double-digit sales growth year over year. They're seeing over 50% of their cash is in hand, and they have this um, they have this return to profitability that some brands that have had similar public debuts have yet to see. Um, so there have been a lot of comparisons to Chipotle and the fact that they have no debt. At this point, so um, it's interesting to think about Kava as the next Chipotle. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think the numbers back that up um, because you know when you look at the fact that um, I think Kava is now at like two hundred and sixty nine locations or something like that, um, and they're planning to open. I think it was something like up to seventy five locations. Uh, next year, uh, I might be butchering these numbers, but um, you know, on the whole, they're they have seemingly infinite runway. And by the way, while they do have competitors, they don't have any competitors at scale like they are. I mean, they they are the biggest thing going for Mediterranean fast casual, and there are so many communities in America that do not have Mediterranean fast casual that it's just going to be. Uh, this is a runaway train. Absolutely. I mean, the rest of their numbers are just incredible. Um, you know, 60 plus percent year over year growth, 18%, I think, um, same store sales growth, 10% growth in traffic. Um, all around is just really, really robust growth. And so, so I mean, look, you know, the, the Chipotle comparisons are inevitable because of their service format, the fast casual, the global nature of their menu. Um, uh, but, but you know, there are any number of other fast casuals you could compare them to. I think Kava, you know, it's sort of a standing on the shoulders of giant situation. And I think that's what helps them be so smart about their business. They've got a great leadership team. They're building, uh, uh, you know, a really formidable operation over there. Um, but they're probably learning from um, the Chipotles and the sweet greens of the world. So, so I think that's a, a, a crucial thing for them is that all of the fast casual development of the last 20 years, they've really 
taken that and learned from it. And they've made this incredible operation that is very profitable, very successful, and is really only uh, at the beginning right now. I agree. Something like five years ago, Mediterranean fast casual was like the hot segment we were all talking about, you know, it was like right before poke and um, everyone, you know, obviously not as much as now, but even back then everyone was, you know, trying to find the quote next Chipotle or the Chipotle of this or the Chipotle of that. And it was a pretty competitive space. There were a lot of fast casual Mediterraneans, but the way that Kava has just like blasted away from the crowd and made it, I mean, it is the fast casual Mediterranean restaurant. Um, like I can only think of one or two others off the top of my head. And like I said, five years ago, we were talking about fast casual Mediterranean at every turn. Um, so I'm really impressed with how they have managed to do that. Um, how so far their life in the spotlight as a public brand seems to be going well. You know, it tends to go different ways. Some brands are like Kava. They're young, they're energetic. They just really take off with an investment like that. And others, you know, <clears throat> don't thrive as public brands in it. I mean, it's still so, so early in Kava's lifespan, but it looks like, I mean, they're definitely off to a great start. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, to, to that point, Leanne, what's so interesting is like the, the IPO itself is not necessarily going to be some engine to take them into the future. But what's notable about the IPO is how much buzz it's built for this brand, where you know, I think Kava is still at that stage where if I ask around to some of my family members, probably most of them have never heard it, you know, and no offense to my family members, but it's just, you know, they're not actively seeking out the most exciting fast casual in America. Um, whereas Chipotle is completely, everybody knows Chipotle. And 10 years ago, Chipotle wasn't even there yet, right? Like now it's prevalent mm -hmm. everywhere. So, and I bring that up because the, the, the buzz, the news that you get out of something like an IPO is helping introduce Kava to a lot more people. And you've seen a lot of mainstream media covering it all of a sudden because it is the Chipotle of Mediterranean, quote unquote, uh, which is going to serve it really well. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, this is a wave. This is a momentum wave that Kava is going to ride. And the question now is really how long are they going to be able to ride that wave? It could be many years. I mean, I think what's interesting is that we haven't heard things referred to as the Chipotle of whatever in a little while. I feel like it Thank kind of slowed God. down. And do you want to know why? And do you want to know why? Because I can Sam trace got it. Sick of it. Oh, yes, I determined uh. it so. No, I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the year. It was 2015. Anyone who want to guess what happened in 2015? <laughs> Leanne, yes, you. Food poisoning. Yeah, it was the whole E. coli situation, right? And and it's funny because I mean, not funny. You know, it's terrible. But um, but you know, we talked about Chipotle and how it's really come back from that episode. But yeah, 2010 to 2015 was really peak Chipotle of because Chipotle was the golden chain that could do no wrong, and you know now they had done wrong, but they're back to doing very very good. And um, I'm not to you know whatever. Anyway, we don't have to get into the Chipotle part of that. But you're right, is that that was a thing for a while. Um, but also, by the way, uh, it's 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 totally inaccurate too. I mean, I think Subway has a has a uh, can pr you know proudly say that they were probably first to that whole customization model. I think Chipotle didn't just give a touch point for how the menu operates. Chipotle also kind of gave a touch point for this is sort of the fast food of the future, and mm -hmm. Kava absolutely represents that too, and and, and many other brands as well. But um, but yes, um, Kava is following in Chipotle's footsteps in more ways than just their service format. Which I feel happened after the IPO. I think before the IPO, they're being compared to Sweetgreen. 
that was the first that was the this was the first IPO since Sweetgreen. And I feel like I was seeing a lot of news in my feed that was like saying, is Kava the next Sweetgreen? Comparing the two of them, seeing how it's going to happen. And then after the IPO and successful debut, they were like, is Kava the next Chipotle? And I think that that really took a shift in the right direction when obviously they had profitability this quarter. We all know Sweetgreen has yet to turn a profit. So I think that that's an interesting thing to talk about too, is that they weren't just a successful IPO and died down. Like there was a successful IPO, the traffic was up. Like there is a real tailwind on this brand. I mean, I think it's going to do really well. Kava's also, Kava's also bigger than Sweetgreen now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Kava in its own right has has become, you know, Kava is going to be the touch point going forward. Is this the next Kava? Um, you know, they might not be there totally yet, but in the next couple of years, I think we'll, we'll get to that point. I mean, Sweetgreen and Kava have some connective tissue as well. You know, both of them really sprung up in urban areas serving healthier food, uh, you know, kind of as this lifestyle brand. Like that was really both of those brands sort of held that. Um, Kava, I think the pivot was when they really decided to invest in suburban uh, locations earlier on um, than Sweetgreen did. And so, so that's where I think it started to follow the Chipotle route which is it recognized, oh, hey, there's potential in the suburbs. There's potential with, you know, drive through and technology and all these ways in Uh which um, Sweetgreen was a little bit later to some of that. So I don't know. All these comparisons are mostly for us in media because customers are like, is it expensive? Is it not expensive? You know what I mean? Like, what's the price? Are we talking $10 or less or $10 or more? Like, that's how customers think. Um, But for the sake of us in the media and the sake of investors, yes, it's easy to look at Kava more as a Chipotle now. It's also, I mean, in my mind, the biggest difference between Sweetgreen and anybody is that Sweetgreen has really positioned itself as a tech company, whereas, you know, Kava Chipotle, name any other restaurant, are still restaurant companies first that rely heavily on tech. And so, like, yes, Kava has a successful app. They have digital pickup lanes in the suburbs, as Sam said. Um, They rely on tech very heavily as any restaurant company has to, but Sweetgreen presents itself as a tech company. You know, their digital kitchens are their pride and joy because it shows what they can do with technology as opposed to, you know, with Kava, I feel like the heart of the brand is still really about what they can do with Mediterranean food and how they can get it to more people. I will say the co-founders of Sweetgreen do not consider themselves a technology company. They consider themselves a restaurant brand. And if you want to hear more on that, turn to Sam's episode of Takeaway with Nathaniel Rue, who will also be speaking at Create. So, you can figure, you can hear as much of Nathaniel Rue talk as you want. So many plugs. So I many plugs. I love listening to Nathaniel Rue talk. Um, but really what I was saying is really about how the brand presents itself, you know, because it's not necessarily just like the founder's intentions. But I think even a lot of my friends, you know, think of Sweetgreen as like so tech heavy. Well, so, and one of the things that Kava's doing, I think that's reminiscent of Chipotle and is reminiscent of a lot of these other brands is that they are opening pickup windows. They're going to have them in city locations, these pickup windows that, you know, Sam, we were talking before the pot started about this increase in pickup orders and this decrease in delivery from a lot of brands that were reporting this earnings season. And I think that that's a great sign of how a brand is capitalizing on this pickup entity and how that's moving in that direction. Um, Because Chipotle's are super successful. I mean, like, they're crazy. And I think that it's, <laughs> that was the first I, word I could think of. <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish that sentence. I was hanging on your words. I was thinking of a right word and then I just said crazy. So don't love it, but sure. you know, you do what you got to do. So are. what do you think about this trend of delivery decreasing, which I mean, it did balloon, but it's decreased. We heard from Domino's, which is like such a delivery company that it's decreasing. 
Yeah, well, and to rewind a little bit, you know, it's funny because, you know, talking about Sweetgreen considering itself a tech company, but now it's more considering itself a food company. And well, anyway, mostly just to say, again, some of these are narratives that we create in media, um, but but are also narratives among customers, right? I think Sweetgreen in the early days did kind of create that narrative about being tech forward. But Chipotle and Kava, each in their own right, have really leveraged technology as well. Um, to make the uh, service much, much more efficient and even to make the back of house much much more efficient. And Kava did talk about some of these ways in which they're leveraging technology. So just to close the Kava uh, uh, thread here, you know, they they are going to test a loyalty program. Um, You know, they're really investing more in their digital operations. So that all is, is, you know, they're beefing up that part of the customer experience in a way that's going to help them to scale and provide a much more, you know, uh, efficient and, pleasurable guest experience. So that's, that's one thing. But but yes, to your point, Holly, um, the other thing that they mentioned is these pickup windows. And it is really interesting, um, just across earnings, as you mentioned, Domino's, uh, Sweetgreen said this, Chicava said this, uh, Chipotle, I believe said this, delivery is down across those restaurants. Um, and yeah, to your point, Domino's like delivery is what they do. Uh, but that's not that sales are down. It's just that pickup is up. And, um, you know, not to give ourselves too much a pat on the back over here, but, um, you know, we've talked in recent weeks about the fee fatigue and menu price fatigue. And I think that we're starting to see that play out in the delivery numbers. I have vented on this here podcast about the money I have spent on some delivery occasions that I have learned my lesson and won't do that again. Um, And I think that's probably true across the board for Americans who are like, I just paid how much for delivery? Um, look, people are increasingly price conscious. There is price fatigue. There is fee fatigue. And that's going to hurt restaurants in the long run. And it's going to start with delivery because that's where you see the most fees. So here we are at earnings season. And that is true. Deliveries down, pickups up because people are saying, you know what? I'll get off my butt and say $5. Um, so it's interesting with Kava because they're innovating around that, right? I mean, I'm sure these pickup windows are not just a second decision based on the recent earnings. These are probably trends they've been seeing go back far, far in the, uh, you know, in the past. But pickup windows, you know, are not just to uh, assist those who are shifting their business from delivery to pickup. They're also going to assist the delivery process by having, you know, of the availability of pickup for the delivery driver. All in all, a pickup window in itself is to create better throughput and efficiency for that side of the business. And you see this happening with lots of restaurants where they stick the, you know, they're, they're trying to pull the takeout uh, and delivery pickup uh, apart from the rest of the restaurant operation because they don't want delivery drivers coming in and standing in line with a guest. It just gets really messy. You got to pull these two things apart. So you've seen that more and more. That's what the Kava pickup window is all about. I'm going to give things over to Leanne here right after I just say, though, broadly, is that delivery um, being down is something we should absolutely pay attention to because... I think this is going to be a sign of what's to come for just general restaurant traffic and sales trends because it could be sort of that uh, bellwether or canary in the coal mine, if you will, of um, customers pushing back and saying, okay, I'm spending too much on restaurants and you need to innovate around that. But yes, go, Leanne, you talk. Totally. I mean, everything I have to say just comes down to that innovation. I mean... Look, I sound like a broken record, but every week I say it's about reaching as many customers as you can as in as many ways as you can. And so if your customer isn't getting delivery anymore, you need to figure out how to get that customer into your store. Or is delivery down because dine-in is up or because pickup is up? It's going to be different for every brand. But 
figure out where that customer is, get them back to your restaurant. Even if it is, you know, maybe you do away with delivery fees for a while, or I don't know how it works with third party. If like you can pick up the fees on certain deliveries, um, but yeah, and it's why it's why chains are innovating. It's why we've got you know Taco Bell opening a new prototype every six weeks and <laughs> Chick Fil A launching new prototypes. It's just really all about how can we get as many people in here as we can or get our food to them. Uh, so yeah, I'm not I'm not terribly surprised by the trend. I think like all things, it's gonna just come and go in waves, um, but definitely something to keep a pulse on. Well, and Domino's is a really interesting example of that because, you know, Domino's was so delivery heavy for so long and they realized that they didn't have enough drivers. And so they pivoted to these uh, carry out hero campaigns where they were basically giving somebody a discount on their next purchase if they carried out their food, if they picked it up in person. Um, and that campaign, they they first launched and then they next launched a partnership with Uber Eats to get their name out more, but they still had their drivers delivering. So I think that Domino's is kind of the key to this because they've been seeing these trends for a while and have been acting on them and have been pushing towards getting a better result. And they've been actively moving away from delivery. Like the, in the shows in their numbers that the delivery is down, but they've been actively going away from that. And I think that's the real like turn here is that delivery is going to be down for a while. I think that we're going to see people dine in more, that we're going to see people carry out more because it's just easier. Sam, you talk about all the time how it's just easier for you to go to a drive-thru than it is to go inside a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's true of me in the suburbs, not as true for you guys in New York City, right? I mean, and so there's always going to be a little bit of a difference based on on lifestyle and, and time pressures, right? I mean, drive through is great because, yeah, I can get in my car, run over there really quick, kids can stay in the car, Um but sometimes I don't have 15 minutes to give to go get the food, you know, and that's different for everybody. Um, I do want to flag, though, I, I, I'm i pretty sure, somebody correct me, please, if I'm wrong here. Um, I think DoorDash sales are up. Um, so I, I will counter my own point to say that delivery in itself is not going away. Um, and there's any number of reasons why DoorDash, their sales might be up because it could be, you know, cost stuff or whatever. But... Um, I just wanted to throw that out there as a, you know, this is going to be, this is not a sort of blanket statement to say delivery is dying, uh, cause it's not, but I do think individual restaurants uh, are, are starting to see, especially I think fast casuals, this is going to be pretty natural to see delivery go down there more just because those are the ones that, you know, you want a fast, convenient experience from fast casual, but they are a higher price point. So you are going to be much more aware of like, uh, What's the threshold I'm willing to cross? How much money I'll pay to save myself 15 minutes? Um, so, I do that a lot with Dig. There's a Dig about 15 minutes from where I live. And I'm often like, do I want to walk there? Do I want to pay the extra money? And I usually pay the extra money to get it delivered. I mean, I'm usually too lazy to walk there. So I'm one of those customers who is in the delivery camp. But I guess it's because I'm in an urban area. So it's a little bit different when it comes to that. Also, we know I'm not a big fan of drive-thrus. My first experience was not wonderful. So, um, I don't think you experience. get to determine, yeah, if you're a fan or not based on one experience. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it. So, I mean, kind of continuing in the same vein is Brinker, which just introduced It's Just Wings to Chili's, which was a virtual brand that was all about delivery, delivery, delivery. And now 
they're introducing it into permanent menus at, uh, I was going, oh my God, it's going to be Chick-fil-A at Chili's. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is testing new things, but that's a whole other topic. That would be really fascinating if Brinker introduced its menu items at Chick-fil-A. But the Chick-fil-A truck is, I believe, serving wings, which is very interesting yeah. for the brand. Um, so talking about different kind of wings uh, at Chili's, what do you guys think about this virtual brand coming into a real space? It was one of the most popular virtual brands. It's just wings. It was doing really well. I am fascinated by this. Um, I obviously, from like our businessy perspective, this is fascinating, just I feel like for obvious reasons. But I am so interested in how consumers see it's just wings. Um, we talk all the time about like virtual brands and transparency and like the lack thereof. And I'm like, I don't really know how many consumers know <clears throat> that it's just wings is a Chili's brand. And I would be even or like a Brinker brand. Um, and so I, I think the marketing on this is so interesting to me because really what they're doing is adding different wings to the Chili's menu. Like, at the end of the day, this is a menu update and, like, a pretty low-key standard one. Wings make sense on a Chili's menu, you know? They've got <clears throat> a bar vibe in some of their restaurants. People go there to watch football. Um, but the way they're marketing this as it bringing It's Just Wings into the stores is, I mean, like, they must think there's going to be a benefit. They It must have. And, like, you know, again, I'm in New York City, so I don't really have a pulse on, like, the everyday American. Um, I don't know how many Americans out there necessarily associate it's, like, we'll hear, oh, it's just Wings is at Chili's. We got to go. But they must think that that is what's going to happen. Um, they've talked about, like, how they're expecting, like, traffic boosts from this. Um, so I just think it's so fascinating from that perspective because it's they've taken, like, a pretty standard, like, menu update and turned it into this whole, hey, we're taking our virtual brand and we're serving the food in the restaurant. And people are getting really excited about that, um, which good on Brinker for doing it that way. But I am it's yeah, so it's so interesting to me. It's a lesson in brand affinity, which I think is just to to um, emphasize that point you were making, Leanne, which is when they were running, it's just wings. They weren't saying it's just wings from Chili's. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a, a saying. uh, uh that I've heard some restaurateurs use, you know, there's sort of the branded house versus house of brands, you know, a house of brands is, you know, portfolio with many companies all with their own brands. A branded house is when you, you lean into that brand across all of those individual components. And some have done that. Um, one that comes to mind is Starbird out of the Bay area. You know, they, when they did virtual brands, it was like Starbird salad, Starbird, uh, you know, they, they, they leveraged the Starbird brand to, sell the other brands because there was brand affinity for Starbird. Um, a lot of companies chose not to do that with virtual brands for one reason or another, because, you know, if you're Chili's and you want to sell wings, you know, saying it, it's it's just wings from Chili's, you know, it, it's not to say anything bad about Chili's wings, but if, you know, people don't want wings from Chili's, then that's a hard pass. But if they're like, hey, let's check out the new wings place, you know, they, they they don't know it's affiliated with Chili's. The real big story on that was, uh, you might remember when Chuck E. Cheese rolled out pizza, uh, Pascali Pizza, pretty sure, as a virtual brand. And there was an uproar when people found out it was from Chuck E. Cheese because they thought they were getting hoodwinked. But, you know, Chuck E. Cheese was just very smartly saying, not a lot of people associate Chuck E. Cheese with pizza delivery. So we're going to just 
rebrand it, right? This is the this is obviously the the magic of virtual brands in general. So not saying anything new here, but as it relates to this story here is it's just wings is reversing that process. And I think that's so fascinating and to, to Leanne's point, which is to say now that it's just wings became in its first year, a $150 million brand in its own right. I mean, it was nuts. The kind of sales they were doing in 2020 and 2021, um, it built its own brand affinity. And so they're flipping that script and saying, okay, yeah, in a brick and mortar setting, you know, how can that play out where we, we, it's like a, you're casting a net for more customers and then yanking it back into the boat. Um, it, it, we've all theorized how virtual brands would kind of come out, come to, um, to bear in the brick and mortar market. And, you know, once upon a time, we all thought Mr. Beast would be the one figuring that out. Um, RIP Mr. Beast Burger, uh, potentially. Um, but, uh, but this is a, a good example of how this could play out, which is okay. You know, you had a virtual brand, it was successful sales or delivery might be down or that particular brand might be down, but you have a brand with with that affinity with some customers that now you can tap into uh, in the brick and mortar space. And we'll, we'll see how this goes for Chili's. You know, we mentioned it on a previous podcast that, you know, we were talking about the death of Mr. Beast or the possible death of Mr. Beast. Burger is not the person. Right. Um, and we were saying that, you know, a lot of the brands that have been successful have been tied to a restaurant brand, that they have the infrastructure to really make this work. And that's where we've seen, it's just Wings was, one of the most successful virtual brands and because it was tied to a restaurant company that had the resources. We've talked about dog houses, virtual brands. They have the resources. They're in the same kitchens. What Mr. Beast was failing on is the consistency because they weren't made in the same kitchens. They were made in different kitchens or kitchens that weren't necessarily made to make that kind of food. And so it made the consistency not great, but I feel like the restaurant companies have really been able to nail the consistency. And that's the difference in the virtual brands that have succeeded versus the ones that have failed. And in that same vein, I mean, they've been making It's Just Wings food in Chili's kitchens the whole time. So like Brinker is paying to update physical menus and obviously for a marketing push here. But as far as menu updates go, this one is as cheap as they come because they're not buying new products. They're not cooking anything new. There's no training. Um, they're just, again, serving their food to their customers in a different way and possibly different customers if their dining customers aren't also ordering from home. So, I mean, that's incredibly smart. Good point. Did Chili's not have wings before? That's what I was trying to remember because it is so... Like, it feels like they should have. Like, it fits the vibe of Chili's. I honestly don't know. I think um, they do. I've never I'm had pretty sure they had wings, but they I'm just, sure. like, kind of revamped the... the wings platform with a mm. virtual brand. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again... and, a surprise to, and a surprise to no one, I've never been to a Chili's. So, unsure what their menu looks like. You were a theater kid. Where'd you go after shows in high school? Applebee's. Oh, okay. okay. That's fair. I'll allow it. <laughs> it's not like you were going to 11 Madison Park or something. <laughs> No, it was the diner or Applebee's. Okay, okay. We went to Chili's, but yeah, same vibe. But I mean, honestly, Holly, you've never been to a Chili's, but Applebee's, same vibe. Yeah, but they have wings. Yeah, and I'm, I imagine Chili's does or has in the past, um, which again- but now it's just more flavors. All the more reason that this is just such a smart, I mean, if if this was just a casual dining company adding wings or adding flavors to wings that already existed- we would not be talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> here's here's a freebie for the Brinker marketing team. I think you should briefly rename Chili's. It's not just wings. 
I don't like that. Uh? Dad jokes everywhere. Dad jokes everywhere. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That made me feel icky. Well, okay, I tried. <laughs> and failed. Yeah, well. It's important. <laughs> all right, well, thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to throw it over to Brett's interview with David Cox. Um, And you guys have a great rest of your day. Belgioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheese making. Using only natural ingredients and fresh local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioso, every cheese is a specialty. Thanks, Holly. So, David, how are you? Great, Brett. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Glad, glad to see you. T- tell me, how long have you been at Norms? Well, uh, about 20 years, Brett. Um, it goes quick, but yeah, I started in uh, December 3rd in uh, 2003. So I'm guessing since it's gone under new like leadership and stuff that a lot has changed at Norms. A lot has changed uh, in, in a positive way, in a very positive way. Um, but a lot has remained the same as well. We're, we're deeply rooted in, in uh, the tradition and the culture. Uh, we, we have a lot of um, people here that have been here for, gosh, 20, 30, 40 years um, that, really, um, that really support that. And uh, it's, just, it's like a big family. And for our audience members who don't know, what, what is Norm's? Norm's is a, uh, a family-style restaurant. Uh, we've been around since 1949. Uh, started by Norm, Norm Royabacher, um, was the original owner, uh, named it after himself. And uh, Norm was originally a car salesman, uh, so he kind of modeled the first um, restaurants like a, like a car lot, um, where he uh, made them shallow with lots of windows so people could see in and uh, made them inviting in that way. Um, and Norm uh, opened the first one in Hollywood and Vine, the first, first Norms in Hollywood and Vine. And, um, you know, we've been around ever since, just uh, serving up great food. And, um, you know, we have uh, many uh, generations of customers, are very loyal customer base, but we've also been able to attract a lot of new, uh, younger customers at the same time. And, and it's... Pretty much all in the Los Angeles area, right? Uh, Los Angeles, Orange County, San Bernardino, San Fernando Valley. Yes. And then uh, big news here, Brett. You're hearing it first. Uh, we're opening in Vegas. So there'll be the norms out of state. Well, although Vegas in many ways culturally is kind of a suburb of Los Angeles anyway. A lot of people go there. Very true. Very true. Yes. So, and so norms, norms is sort of like a family diner kind of place, right? It very much so, very much so. Yes, uh, oh. it's a place where where you come and you feel at home, very much at home. Um, you might have that same server uh, that you've known over the years that has seen you grow up, has seen your your children grow up, um, that sort of thing. So it's a very comforting place to be. It's where life happens. That is cool, but you guys have still changed the menu a a bit. You oh yes, in in February I think you you introduced uh, quesabiria, which is not a traditional uh, diner food. Quesabiria, yes, um, yes. So uh, we did introduce a quesabiria. Um, 
we, um, you know, we have a, uh, we're here in Los Angeles, right? And Los Angeles is a melting pot and, and a large part of our demographic is uh, Hispanic. Uh, and after, you know, eating uh, some of the Quesaberia uh, trucks, eating from some of the Quesaberia trucks myself, um, I fell in love with the flavor profile and, um, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, fact that they're actually using the product in many different ways. Um, and um, there's, you know, there's a Quesaberia ramen, there's Quesaberia tacos, there's Quesaberia quesadillas. So I wanted to think of a way to use Quesaberia uh, that that nobody was kind of doing and how better to tie it in to a diner than doing a quesaberia burger. So, yeah. So we did quesaberia burger. We did quesaberia top fries. Um, and, you know, we cross utilized the quesaberia in, in many different ways. That's cool. And, and continuing with the uh, Hispanic thing, you just added a couple of aguas frescas, right? Yes. Yes. We have a horchata and a jamaica. That's cool. Um, yeah, you, as I, I met with your CEO at the National Restaurant Show, and he was talking about how you have a very large Hispanic audience, and it makes sense to uh, to respond to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Has, ha, since you joined uh, Norms, the, the entire food world has changed food used to be you know something thought about during meals and now it's really at the center of our culture in the united states so so how have you uh evolved the menu during that period to kind of bring in whatever it is that that you think norm's customers need well um just looking at where where the gaps are you know in in, in our menu and um also in in the segment uh, but, you know, just because we're a, um, a family diner type concept uh, doesn't mean that we're limited to any type of uh, cuisine. So, um, you know, when I was hired, um, I was told that we can do anything here at Norms. And I've always stuck by that that mantra. Uh, we could do it. We could do it better and we can do it cheaper than anybody else. So, you know, obviously commodities and everything have uh, have risen over the years. But uh, I think that we still um, provide that that value proposition, if you will. Uh, we've never cut our portions. You know, we have huge portions uh, and they, we provide a great product at a, at a affordable price. That's cool. And so right now on the menu, you have as limited time offers. Hang on, I will find them. Uh, you got a country kitchen skillet and you yes. got spin and waffles. Yes. And a an avocado eggs benedict and a Hispanic eggs benedict, El Benedicto. Can, can El you Benedicto on a sope shell? Uh, yeah. So um, the El Benedicto was inspired uh, by a, by a sope, uh, which is a traditional, uh, you know, uh, Mexican uh, appetizer or uh, it's and, sort of like corn cake, right? Yeah, it's it's basically masa fina, um, you know, corn masa that's been griddled and uh, shaped like a boat. And then you, um, you fry it from there. So you don't want it totally uh, crispy and hard. You want like a soft fry to it. Uh, and then we use that as the base and we put chorizo, crumbled chorizo, uh, mixed cheese and melt that. And then we put the poached eggs on top of that. And um, just to tie it in with the Hispanic theme, a little salsa verde 
with a little bit of the hollandaise as well to give it some richness. So, and we serve that with pico de gallo. You could get it with beans. You could get it with hash browns. Um, you know, you have your choice of side on it. So, and it's doing well. It's doing great. Yeah. Um, actually, this is the first time we've done Benedict's since I've been at Norris over the the last twenty years. Um, you know, it's uh, it was a little uh, challenging getting the the technique down. On uh, we we've always done poached eggs, but to do them in mass quantities uh, was a little bit of a challenge uh, in the beginning. But we worked through that, and they're doing a great job on it. So how how did you do that? How did you solve for making a lot of poached eggs for your customers when you Benedict's? A, a lot of practice and a lot of training, Brett. Um, but yeah, just getting the, the water to the right temperature, adding the right amount of acid to the water so that the eggs don't fall apart, um, you know, poaching it for the right amount of time so that you get that perfect soft, that soft poach where that you cut into the egg and the, the yolk just kind of runs over everything and, and makes that, you know, gooey goodness that we all love. Yeah, I love that. So, And how many Norm's restaurants are there now? Uh, 21. So how do, do, do you go individually to each of the restaurants to train all the cooks or how does it work? Well, I, I originally, yes. Um, now I have I have a little bit of help. Um, you know, my field chef helps out. We have a, a training department that helps out. Uh, so typically what I'll do is I'll, I'll uh, be a part of the training uh, with the managers and the chefs. And then from there, they go to their individual units, uh, their individual restaurants, and they'll train their cooks. So um, it's kind of a cascading effect that we, that we use. So then each restaurant has its own chef. Each restaurant has its own chef, kitchen slash kitchen manager. Yes. And as as I'm sure you know, turnover is a challenge in yes. restaurants. So uh, how do you uh, encourage and keep your chefs slash kitchen managers and cooks? And you know how do you, how do you retain them and how do you find them? Well. Um, luckily we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of good, um, people and, uh, we've, you know, we've been in business for a long time and we've been able to, uh, keep those people. Um, but we've also been able to attract new talent. We, we, um, we offer hiring bonuses, uh, to our staff. So if they if they refer somebody, uh, to norms and, um, they're, uh, they stay for a certain amount of time. Then they get, you know, a certain amount of, uh, I think it's $2,000 at this time, uh, you know, for that, for that person. So, um, so we offer cash incentives, which always helps. Um, but uh, we also, you know, provide a lot of training and a lot of coaching and uh, feedback to our people uh, and provide a great culture and work environment where they feel respected and um, appreciated, which I think is really ultimately one of the most important things. And we pay well. Well, yeah, yeah. If I know anybody in Los Angeles looking to be a cook, I'll let you know. Okay. Am I eligible Please. for the two thousand dollars too? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. cool. That's all Absolutely. I find, buddy. Uh, yeah. $2,000. I was just corrected by uh, by marketing that it's uh, twenty two locations just opened Ontario. Oh, Hollywood to follow. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, fact checkers. That's nice. It's nice to have <laughs> live support. Yeah. Yeah, she's holding up signs and stuff. So, <laughs> so what what is your uh, product development process like? Do you think up ideas, throw them on a wall, and then kind of test them 
uh, with focus groups or do you, how do you do it? And I guess it's yeah. hard to do market tests when you're all kind of in the same market. Or maybe that's not true because you're in a very large part of Southern California. So maybe it is multiple markets. And I'm going to stop asking this very long <laughs> and just let you talk about how you do stuff. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, so, you know, I do research, obviously, um, you know, trade magazines, trade shows, um, you know, visiting different restaurants. Uh, and then um, also, uh, you know, I'll develop the ideas um, working with my field chef. Uh, we use the restaurant next door. I don't have a, a test kitchen per se, but I have a real life uh, norms next door to, to our office. Um, so I use that as, as uh, my test kitchen. Um, and then we develop, we develop the new items. I'll run them, you know, do a, a full costing on them analysis and run them, uh, run them by our um, leadership team first and see what they think of them. Uh, and then, you know, the restaurant staff as well. And, and then from there, if everybody is excited about the items, uh, we go to the test phase. We do an outfit test in, in one location uh, to where, you know, we, we can see what the feedback is, if we need to make any tweaks at that point in time. And then if everything's going good, from there, we'll uh, expand it to two or three restaurants and test it for, you know, anywhere from six, uh, four to six weeks uh, just to get feedback. We get feedback from the staff uh, on the execution and also from the from the guest as well by doing surveys. And and how how wide is your LTO window? It looks like you put things on the menu for like around three months, something like that. Yeah, usually about three months. We're actually um, lately we've been shortening that window and and doing uh, we squeezing in an extra LTO. We we typically did three a year. Now we're doing closer to four four a year, uh, and we do some little things in between what we we call LTO lights, if you will. Um, so yeah, so we we do that, and and now they're running more like uh, eight eight weeks, uh, six to eight weeks, um, just to have more new news. And, um, you know, so that the guests don't get uh, bored of what we're doing and, uh, you know, we keep people excited about things. So it seems to be working out well um, with that format. So what are some examples of LTO lights? Uh, LTO lights, we'll, we'll do like, uh, you know, some different uh, breakfast items, um, you know, with the, with the, usually when we do them, it's at the price point, if you will. Uh, and those are more traffic drivers. So, um, you know, we will typically advertise those outside uh, the four walls and, and not on the menu itself. Um, and the idea is to, to drive traffic and get people in, uh, in the restaurant, uh, but also to provide a value to create frequency, uh, more frequency among our existing guests as well. So those tend to be lower price point items that are going to get people. They in the tend, yes, they tend to be. And maybe buy a drink and some coffee, and so then you know. Exactly, exactly. You, you you're not if you can't get them in the restaurant, you know that's that's the first step, right? So once once they get in the restaurant, they might see the El Benedicto and decide that they want that instead. I definitely want the El Benedicto. That sounds great. And as as you know, uh, Southern California is a hotbed of many many different cuisines, and I I imagine. You get out a fair amount to try stuff because there's always new things going on. Yes. Uh, are there other uh, cuisines besides uh, Mexican that uh, kind of pique your interest and you think might be a good fit for Norms? 
Yes. Uh, Mediterranean. I've done Mediterranean, Asian, um, you know, Southeast Asian, um, a little bit of Peruvian as well. Uh, So, yeah, a little bit of everything, really. Um, I'm classically French trained. So, uh, you know, there's there's even been times where we've done some things on the on the French side, if you will. I mean, hollandaise sauce on a Benedict. That's French. That's one of the mother sauces, right? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, and you have some barbecue on the menu. You have ribs on the menu right now. We do. I'm I'm a big barbecue fan. I've done uh, some some extensive uh, R and D there uh, touring. Um, and um, yeah, we we have uh, right now we're featuring our St. Louis ribs, uh, where there's uh, you know we, we use a Memphis style rub on them and slow cook them um, you know for for hours, uh, and then we finish them off with a with a more traditional Kansas City style. Um, barbecue sauce uh and then we offer them different combinations you know with, with chicken tenders with shrimp and chicken tenders uh as a full rack as a half rack um that sort of thing and you have some mac and cheese specials too right you got one with bacon yep. you got you got sriracha mac and tots so you got yep. some asian there sriracha a little asian thing. <laughs> what, I, what exactly is a mac and tot uh it's a combination of uh, macaroni and cheese and tater tots um yeah it's a it's a great combination you get that cheesy potato goodness uh, with a little extra carbs in there with the macaroni and then um of course a little drizzle of sriracha never hurt anything um so it's it's a really nice combination sort of different yeah that sounds fun and you know instagrammable and people are like z-o-m-g i have to have that whatever it is right right. and 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 brett you you bring that up i meant to mention that that that's really been the in my career here at Norms, that's really been the biggest change uh, for us. What I've noticed with with food, and you ask, you know, how does that play a role? Um, you know, creating more over the top type items uh, that are Instagrammable, right? Um, and I think that that's that has really been the game changer, uh, if you will, the social media uh, uh, aspect of food these days. It's more of a uh, it's more of an event. Uh, people want to share with other people and the power of that is uh is pretty intense yeah people will drive a long way if they see something interesting on uh social media i know i will (laughs) and i bet the macintosh do that too and probably you also have on the menu uh chicken and waffles which is a an la diner classic Um, but i bet people are taking a lot of pictures of that and uh yes that started out as something I was eating for breakfast. So I figured if I liked it, that other people might like it as well. So it's actually ended up being a big hit. And you use red rooster hot sauce, right? On that? Yes. Yes. Red rooster. Um, it's great. Louisiana hot sauce uh, goes well with chicken. Sounds great. Um, so when it comes to making food that is photogenic, or, or particularly social media friendly. What are, what are things that you keep in mind? Um, height for one. Height, ooey, ooey, you know, cheesy, uh, over the top. Um, you know, portion size is important. I think. Um, but but more than that, I think is what makes it different. You know, just setting it apart from the crowd. Uh, in in one way or another, like right now we're we're testing a a spicy poblano 
Jack Wagnerberger. Um, and, you know, when, when I was building it, I'm like, okay, um, we start with the best meat I can get. And we're going to do 100%, you know, American Wagyu beef. And, um, and we wanted to go with a, with a wider patty, more of a smash patty. So, uh, so, we, so we did that. And then, you know, we upgraded the bun to an artisanal bun, uh, you know, brioche. And then we have a, an artisanal sesame uh, seed bun uh, as well. And, um, you know, I wanted to create something that was spicy. I think uh, that's another thing that people look for um, is, is bold flavor profiles. So um, we sourced a ghost, uh, a ghost pepper jack cheese, um, which is really good. And, um, you know, started building this thing and we had a roasted poblano element to it. And um, but it needed some crunch. So we added like a chile quiles uh, verde type component to it with the, with the chips and the salsa verde um, and just the, com the, the combination of, of all of those components. You have the, the spiciness of the ghost chili. You have the, the earthy, you know, chili flavor of the poblanos. You have the, um, the crunch of the, the tortillas and the, and the, the, um, the, the punch of the sour uh, um, salsa verde. And it just, it just all came together. And it's, you know, it's the presentation on it is, the thing stands about that high. So it's just a really um, over-the-top type burger. So that's the sort of thing I'm looking to, to uh, you know, kind of do for uh, that Instagrammable moment, if you will. Makes sense. As, yeah. as, as a chef, obviously, you're interested in the, the flavor, the taste and the smell and the texture of food. And yet on social media, it's all about how it looks. Does that ever get frustrating when, like, People think they can taste something, but they're just looking at a big picture and they don't really know. No, I no, I, I think people eat with their eyes first. Right. And, you know, they're going to if something looks good, you're going to want to taste it. So you're going to say, well, where do I get that? That looks great. And then, you know, there's always the the reaction of the person that's eating it. Right. That That's the big part of it. Right. They they're biting into it and they're going, oh, my God, this is so good. And the cheese is like melt, you know, stretching and melting and it's dripping all over their hands and you know so there's the theatrics of it too but people eat with their eyes first so if you can get that part um they're going to come in or they're trying to find where they can get that product and i guess it's always been true even before social media that if someone paraded a beautiful dish through a restaurant everybody else ordered it right 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 or you smell it right we used to just back in the day we just put garlic in the saute pan and you know start you know creating this this aroma in the restaurant people you know that are walking by the restaurant or you know coming by they can smell that and they're like oh that smells great what is it it's just a little garlic cooking in your hand so yeah you can also get them with the with the smells yeah i don't i don't know if it's true but i heard a story that when people would show houses they just take a whole onion and put it in the oven and then the house would smell right great. right yeah you create that atmosphere it's that hominess right it's the the comfort comforting yeah, absolutely. So, what are you working on these days? Well, like I said, we we're uh, we're testing the, the wagyu burgers. Okay. I'm looking. Uh, I'm working on a um, a hatch chili program uh, with uh, Buena Chili, um, and you know, looking to do uh, really a whole menu off of uh, the hatch chili, the green chili, the red chili. Um, doing the you know Christmas tree uh, type deal where you put in the red and the 
green chili sauce over a breakfast burrito, um, you know, a green chili cheese omelet, that type of thing. Uh, I just think that there's so many applications for, uh, for I, I'm a hatch chili lover, if you can't tell. Um, I've been eating it for, you know, over 20 years. But um, uh, so working on that. And then we're, we're actually looking at doing some over-the-top uh, hot dogs uh, with uh, Vienna beef uh, as well. And, um, you know, we've been working with them for a little while here. Uh, but, you know, we've never done a hot dog at NOMS before. So it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. You know, what, what do you charge for a hot dog? You know, how do you, how do you provide value in a hot dog? And, you know, my answer to that is it's, it's got to be a hell of a hot dog. So you start with the best hot dog and then, you know, you got to build it up and make it over the top. And then, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we combo it up and, and, and do that with, you know, it, it comes with a, with a side and a drink. And, uh, you know, we're able to offer a good value to the guest and something that may be Instagrammable um, and also, um, you know, uh, something they might frequent us uh, more often with. Yeah, that that's an interesting thought. And over-the-top hot dogs really are uh, super trendy these days. I mean, you have the Korean ones that are battered and fried, but then you also yeah. have like Tex-Mex kind of wrapped up in tortillas and fried kind of hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's something, you know, I was, I, was, I was cooking some of the hot dogs uh, next to the hotcakes cooking in the restaurant mm. uh, yesterday, and the light bulb went off. I'm like, hey, yeah. big batter hot dogs i might have something there right so you know there's uh there's always something to uh to play with which which keeps it exciting are, are you a native angelino no actually i'm from uh san jose Bay Area originally but um you know i've been here uh you know half of my life now so um i love it i love uh, i love uh, southern california it's beautiful and and such a great food hotbed uh, I, I, I was wondering, because I am originally from Colorado, which is sort of home of Hatch Green Chilies. It's obviously they're, they're yeah. from Mexico. Yeah. Once they're down. yeah. yeah. But, but Mexican food in Denver, where I grew up, is very much New Mexican, Mexican yeah. food. Um, and so red and green chili is a thing there. And so yep. is Christmas chili, where you combine the two, as you said. Yes. Uh, but I didn't know it had made it to Southern California. I guess it has. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll uh, maybe we'll be one of the first to to bring it here, right? Um, it's I, I think it's it's here. There's a lot of people from New Mexico that live here, um, and it's it's um, you know it's 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 funny because I actually live in Orange County, um, and when I first got here, the only place I could get green chili. Well, well, I could order it by, you know, but it's very expensive. So I would go to like La Puente and uh, stand in line uh, for hours, you know, to get to get green chili. So um, it, there's definitely uh, a, a pent up demand. It's just getting the, the word out uh, to the people that, that know and finding a way. How do we introduce new people to it? Um, and that, you know, is always my success has been. And it, it putting it in things that they feel comfortable with trying, uh, like a burger or a hot dog or an omelet or things that they have some level of comfortability with, but they'll take a chance on, okay, it has green chili in it, you know, so. When they're familiar with chili, they're familiar with spicy things, so. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
and and the hatch people have done a really good job at uh promoting their products so that nationally yep. i think people are now familiar with it which is exciting absolutely yeah uh, what else what else are you working on uh, exciting. Hmm. Any drinks? Yeah, we're actually uh, well, we, we do a cold brew now. Um, we're looking at uh, a horchata cold brew as well. Um, we're working on some different milkshakes. Um, you know, again, kind of going the route of uh, maybe more towards the Hispanic uh, demographic on those. Uh, as well, you know, with the Mexican chocolate or whatnot. Um, so, um, but yeah, uh, you know, those are the drinks that we're working on right now. Sounds great. Oh, Brett, I'm, I forgot. I'm going to get killed by marketing if I don't mention this. Oh, um, yes. So we're actually, when you mentioned drinks, I was thinking non-alcoholic. Uh, Norms is actually going to test alcohol Ooh. in three of our locations. Yes, so I'm actually uh, working uh, with the brewer at Common Space Brewery, and um, we've developed an IPA that we're um, that we're going to brew. They're going to brew for us, uh, and this IPA is gonna it's gonna hit the uh, retail market first before we get you know our license and everything in place. Uh, but we're um, we're gonna feature it in our restaurant after that. Um, so we're very excited about that. So we're so I'm putting together a whole uh, beer program, but also uh, micheladas, uh, mimosas. We just uh, we just talked to the um, people at Stella Rosa uh, yesterday. We did some tastings, uh, San Antonio Winery, um, and you know we're we're looking at featuring uh, their prosecco for um, possibly for our uh, mimosas, and uh, we're really excited about it. And then in the Vegas location. We're planning on having a full bar, so oh. all of that as well. Yeah, I'm not a violent person, but I would have been sad if you hadn't told me about your, your <laughs> alcohol test. What brewery did you say you were working with? With Common Space in Hawthorne. Common Space. Okay. Common. Yeah, it's by SpaceX over there. It's uh, yeah, the the, the brewer um, is Andy. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, I can't think of his last name right now, but. We sat there and we we went through all the hops and uh, smelled them and tasted them and the different uh, barleys and whatnot and of course we had to try the beers that they were used in as well so that we could get an idea of you know what 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 those taste like but uh, we came up with a with a recipe together and uh, really excited about it it's my first beer so and so you were involved in in brewing it and uh, actually developing how it tastes recipe yeah yeah. Excellent. Great. Well, that is a, a appetizing uh, note on which to wrap up. Thanks All for right. spending time with me, David Cox. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Brett. Brett and, and, <laughs> and I hope we can do it in real life sometime when I get to Southern California. Absolutely. Absolutely.